0: Hi, I'm Jack Barrazzini, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Thomas Sanjuro. Hi, Thomas. Hi, Jack. And Father jo- Joseph Sund. Hi, Father. Hello. How we doing? Doing great. And I know this is uh, your first time on the show. You joined uh, SQP in recently. So would you like to uh, introduce yourself to the audience and give a little background?
1: Yeah, my name's um, Father Joseph Sund. Um, I've been a priest ordained five years now. Um, I'm of the Archdiocese of Omaha, um, stationed out of Atkinson, Nebraska, so I'll challenge you to find that on a map. <laughs> um, I cover seven rural churches. Um, there's a team of three of us um, that cover seven churches throughout two counties, um, so we keep ourselves plenty busy. Um But before I entered seminary, my background was that I was a computer science major, um, lifelong computer nerd. My dad was a programmer, um, so always grew up around that. Um, And so in addition to being the associate pastor at Seven Churches, sometimes I also find myself the IT director at Seven (laughs)
2: Churches. (laughs) So
1: I'm sure we'll learn a little more about me as shows go on, but so I think that can suffice for now. Awesome. uh, I I also
2: heard that you are a Linux nerd like me. I am
1: Linux all (laughs) the way. I will sadly admit that my machine is a um, dual boot because sometimes you have to um, accept evil. Um, Never, never. (laughs) And um, sadly, right now, um, on my side, I am recording on a Windows laptop right now. Um,
0: Uh It looks like it uh, can't be avoided. Yeah, we got (laughs) Team Linux here tonight.
1: Bill Gates kind of trapped us. It's
0: okay, I'm usually on Linux, but I do use a, a Mac to record because it just, just works better for me.
1: Okay, so, so going on the Linux side, what are all of our um,
2: distros of choice? Usually, uh,
0: Ubuntu or Lbuntu. Okay.
2: Yeah, what about you, Thomas? I I was an Arch user for a long time, and then um, my. My family actually roped me back into Linux Mint because uh, they all got on it. And I was like, wow, that's so much easier than having to rebuild every single thing that I have every time I open my computer.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely.
1: Uh, I've enjoyed Arch. Um, currently, my um, primary computer, um, I switched over when Debian 11 came out. I had to, I had to give it a try. So yeah, nice.
0: That is awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good to have you here. All right, um, we're going to start off with some listener feedback. Uh, Mike Anthor via email says, "Uh, it brought a big smile to my face when Thomas recommended one page rules as his pick of the week in episode 130. I've been playing with that system for a couple of years now, and it has brought the community back to gaming. No more spending time digging through rule books. No more huge investments every few years um, with with time to learn new rule books and faction guides and no judgment when your miniatures are 20 years old and not the most recent. Highly priced or version. paper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the highly priced version on the shelves. Uh, just your friends getting together, having some fun, laughing when someone rolls all the ones that's bad, or cheers when someone rolls all sixes. I did have a question. I'm looking for a good uh, Catholic Bible app. I had one that I liked for many, many years that I could easily flip through between translations and bookmark and highlight multiple passages. It was just called Catholic Bible, but it has disappeared off my phone in the app store. It happens, I guess, as developers move on to other projects and the operating systems render old programs obsolete. I'm sure the panel has some thoughts on what they like to use. There are several out there. any recommendations um, This is something that i'm going to have to defer to the rest of the panel on i don't know do any of you uh do you have good recommendations we have a we have a list here, but uh do you have any thoughts on that father
1: um my app of choice um this one falls on the expensive end um. I've been investing in this app ever since my seminary years, so I don't even want to go back and look um <laughs> through my finances to see how much I've spent <laughs> on this app, but it's the Ver Veribroom app um, that runs yeah. both PC. There's a mobile version of it. So um if he's just looking for a Bible app, that might be a little overkill. Mm. Um but that's my app of choice. Um Another one that I have found enjoyable to use um, is, I think it's called the Truth in Life um, Audio Bible, Mm -hmm. and it's a dramatized audio Bible. But um, in that app, I think you can also purchase the Ignatius Study Bible Oh, nice! um, in the app. So that's focusing more towards the New Testament there. Um, I think he has Old Testament in that, and I think you can do the highlighting and notes in that
0: oh nice yeah looking at the prices here it uh, looks like a uh, verbum is uh, a little less than a hundred a year um, and the truth in life bible it's a uh, twenty dollars for the audio and twenty dollars for the study bible what about you thomas yeah. did you have any uh,
2: recommendations well i i don't have for a bible app necessarily but laudate is a really great mm-hmm. free app that has the daily readings it has the liturgy of the hours it has a bunch of different prayers that are available to you um it's it very bare bones uh, kind of presentation, so it's not a lot. There's not a lot of busyness going on there. Uh, it's well updated. It has a s- uh, set of Latin prayers, which I like, which is kind of a, a unique feature, I think, to mm. it. And um, I've I've been using it for a while. It's it's made a consistent shift through all the phones when yeah. I'm looking at all my apps and figuring out which ones I want to keep and which ones I want to get rid of. That one's all almost always there, so yeah, I I definitely recommend it. I I don't know if it meets the need of ha- of a bible study app so because it does daily readings but i i don't think it has a full-fledged uh bible that you can search against and go through and read outside of just the daily readings
0: right yeah i know that um when you open up the daily readings that it usually will take you out to the usccb page yeah that's a good one and that one's free and it's available on ios and android um, another recommendation that I would say is if you have a Kindle or an ebook reader, you can get many, many versions of the Bible, a lot of them for free on there. And those have uh note taking abilities where you can highlight passages, you can take notes and you can get like a list of all your notes generated and dump those out. Like if I'm doing a research project with a book, I really like using ebooks because it just allows you to organize your notes really easily.
1: One other comment I'd have on that is, um, it's a Protestant app, so we shouldn't um, bow our head at that right away. But um, um, has is an app, and I'm certain you can get the RSV on that. Um, okay, cool. You'll just have to make sure that you find all your Catholic books um, involved in that. Um, so it's going to have the Protestant slant, so you might not find the Catholic books in the Bible there.
0: Okay, nice. Yeah, but it looks like it's a... Looks like it's available for all mobile platforms, too, and looks like it's a well-designed app. Nice, yeah, so uh, today we are going to be talking about um, game systems. There's a bunch of different options out there. Uh, I feel like the console wars are kind of kind of dead at this point, because everyone's kind of settled on <laughs> on what they want, but there's still a lot yeah. of different options.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's, it's not, it's not a thing where you're, uh, unless you're, Brand new to consoles, you're right. not picking at this point. But if you are and you're trying to figure out, you know, where you want to fit into everything, then uh definitely I think this is a good overview uh right. time for us to do.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh so uh Thomas, what is your background in that and what is your preferred gaming platform?
2: All right. So I'm a PC gamer all the way. Um percent Um I have had, I, I think the latest PlayStation version I had was a PS2. And I, I had an Xbox one. Uh, no, no, no. I had an Xbox 360. That was the latest Xbox that I had. And the Xbox 360 was given to me. The PS2 I bought used. I didn't buy either of them new. Uh, and it was mostly just to catch up on Final Fantasy games and then um, grab like a couple of extra things that I wanted to play on Xbox. Uh, but I'm a Nintendo family. That's if, if we're talking game consoles, that's what we play because it's you can play as a group. And that's really what it comes down to for us yeah. is the ability to sit in the living room together, everybody grab a controller, and just do something goofy and fun and cartoony
0: that everybody can get involved in. Yeah, definitely. What about you, Father?
1: I'm more of a retro gamer. Um, so um, my favorite console still to play, and I still have the games that I purchased back in when I was a kid for the this system is the Sega Genesis.
0: Um, nice.
2: Nice
1: and you you can't beat it now part of it is a nostalgia um you know if i'm gonna play a college football game that nebraska was winning national championships i have to play sega genesis so (laughs) um but also i do have the xbox 360 um in my living room that's still my um mobile platform of my gaming platform of choice um And I have my um, good old reliable Nintendo 2DS, um, so I can get my um, occasional Pokemon playing on during COVID. There you go,
0: nice. (laughs) Yeah, um, I'm kind of in the same boat with you, Father. I tend to lean more towards retro games. I... Growing up the only thing I had was a Super Nintendo that was a hand-me-down. Um and that thing was awesome and so I've always been a fan of the the older style of games. Uh what I primarily do right now actually is play old uh, old games on emulators, mostly things for like Windows 3.1 or Windows DOS and then a lot of like Commodore 64 games, things like that. I just like that I just like that era, especially the artwork and like the artwork, the music and just the ingenuity that it took to build those games just like you don't th- you don't think about it when you're playing them, but just like the different crazy things they would do to get like a few more colors on the screen, like with dithering and all this crazy like stuff that you would do. That I still I appreciate new games for how beautiful they can look, but I still feel like there's not that same limitation there. So I just find that whole aspect a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. Nothing beats playing Frogger on the Tandy,
0: right? Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> Going way back, yeah. King's Quest four. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well that's I, I you know it's just stuff that people don't know too i think that, that's one of those things the more you become informed about those games the more interesting they are so like the fact that mario's jump sound was actually a part of the music that the game played and yeah like that's the way they they to compress everything into the space required they had to figure out how to do cre-
0: creative clever little things right uh like that where the jump sound is actually part of the music yeah definitely um i'll actually uh in the show notes i'll link this great video series uh by the youtuber the 8-bit guy where he goes over the history of uh retro games and all the different crazy things that developers would come up with to eke a little more power out of those 8-bit and 16-bit systems That'd so yeah great. but uh the current uh Current uh, generation of games, uh, game systems is uh, the Nintendo Switch and the Nintendo Switch Lite. That's uh, what Nintendo has currently, and they're very similar systems. Uh, the Nintendo Switch, I think it's like three hundred dollars, um, and it includes this dock where you can plug it in. It's almost like a large, it's like a large handheld, but you can plug it into this dock, and that way you can connect it to the TV. And then the Switch Lite is just the handheld module. And there's a lot of uh, um, something I really like about Nintendo's model now is that they have a subscription service where you can get a bunch of the retro games like mm-hmm. for their old systems on there. And I saw that recently um, they're working on bringing a lot of the old Game Boy Advance and Game Boy Color games to uh, the Switch. Definitely. Yeah,
1: that, that's that been my worry about switching over to Switch. Pun not intended there <laughs> um, From my 2DS is. I have a library of my, you know, my old games bit built up mm-hmm. and for quite some time now they haven't been able to promise to bring those over.
2: Yeah. Yeah, they're work, they're working on getting a lot of that stuff in, but even so it's still you're you're paying for a subscription service and very similar to like, you know, with Amazon or uh or Netflix sometimes those things may be on and then maybe they're gone because they just didn't have the the viewership and I don't know why they can't just have infinite space on the internet but oh well uh, and you just end up there There was a game that, uh, that I was interested in playing and before I could actually sign up for the subscription service it's not there anymore so I'm kind of <laughs> kind of bumped about that yeah Um, but I will say for the switch, the difference between the switch and the switch light is the, the ability to plug it into your TV is really cool. And one of the things that I love, I play animal crossing and I do like 15, 20 minutes of animal crossing every morning when I get up while I'm waiting for my coffee to brew and, uh, it turns the TV on for me. So all I have to do is grab my controller, sit down, press the button. And as soon as the switch comes on, it sends a signal to the TV to come on and the TV pops up right on the switch, ready to go. It's great. It's the laziest thing. And it's so fantastic when you've just woken up and you're sitting down to go and water your flowers.
0: <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of uh, a lot of my friends who have the switch like that's their go to game. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it's a it, it's a good relaxing. I, I My wife, who does not like video gaming, has started playing and is uh, she's a daily player where she'll get on there and she does goes uh, combs the beach and then uh, goes and visits an island to uh, rob it of resources. <laughs> nice.
0: <laughs> yeah, it really seems like the the delineation between the Nintendo and then the PlayStation and the Xbox is the kinds of games you're gonna you're gonna get on there. Like Xbox and PlayStation tends to be the much more hardcore, like graphics yes. intensive and th- those kind of games. It's as the
2: gaming community will call it, it's the casual gamer versus the serious gamer, right? Yeah. They're the the casual gamer plays the Nintendo, and the serious gamer plays the um, the PlayStation or the Xbox. And while I don't like that because I, I think that um you know gaming is a casual thing.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, I, I I understand where people are coming from because you're the the titles that you're going to get for the for the Switch are not in that more. Dark artsy or really high performance uh, right. uh, string, but they're a lot of fun. And yeah. I think that you know, Breath of the Wild kind of blew the, the concept of uh, Nintendo as a silly uh, game system out of the water. And a lot of people ended up buying Nintendo's because Breath of the Wild was such a fantastic game, and it was the first really truly open world game that felt like you could live in it and really just go around and do stuff and that's saying a lot because i you know i'm a huge skyrim fan and that was still one of those <laughs> games that had a very delineated story and all the other stuff just seemed extra whereas with uh breath of the wild it really what felt like you were just living in the world that you were in and you okay. had to travel around and do all the stuff that you uh could to explore the world and expand uh what you knew about it
0: nice yeah I think uh, I think they actually have Skyrim ported to the Switch now. I feel like it's it gets ported <laughs> to on everything and they're never gonna come everything. out with. Yeah. Elder Scrolls 6 is never gonna come out, just the new port of Skyrim. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and so over on the uh in the more quote unquote hardcore gaming world, there's the PlayStation 5, um, and the Xbox Series X. And the Xbox also has the uh Series uh, S, which is kind of their lower end version. And that's something that I feel like for a lot of people is it's it's really easy to when you look at the Nintendo systems, like there's the switch and then there's the switch Lite But then once you start looking at the more the like Xbox or um, the PlayStation systems, it becomes a lot more confusing. Like if you're just trying to get into that world hmm. with what they're going to what you're going to get. Um, and then, of course, like with the PlayStation uh, and the Xbox, both they're both. uh I'm not sure if the Xbox is uh, 4K. I think the Series X is. I know the Series S, I believe, is not. Um, but the PlayStation uh, that does 4K, they both have uh, really powerful processors, graphics, cards, and they both do the onboard uh, storage. But the Series X, I know it still uses a... Uh, they do, they're they using the Blu-ray discs. Oh, I, I find it a little bit funny that uh, Microsoft, who pushed HD DVD for a long time, they're, they're from the Blu-ray, Blu-ray world now.
2: Uh, gotta gotta go with what what works right yeah (laughs) if it's what's out there that's kind of what you have to do
1: (laughs) didn't streaming end up winning that battle overall
2: i think so yeah
0: it's it's gonna i know that you can still buy physical copies but it seems like pretty much everything they're pushing is the streaming now yeah downloading it onto the hard drive
2: well i'll i'll be i'll be honest and admit that we've that the the last Three games I've bought for the Switch. I've done that because um, early on we got Mario Maker or yeah Mario Maker in uh, physical copy. Yeah. And so we had the little the little chip that goes into the the Switch and it got lost. And that's fifty bucks worth of a game that's just you know gone. Do you and not
0: get it linked to your account? Like you don't. You, you don't. don't, down. You don't oh. Yeah. You
2: don't get like a digital copy of it with the with the um, with the physical copy. So I'm just buying them digitally because. They all fit. You just get a big enough SD card to shove in there, and they'll all fit on there, no problem. Um, but yeah, so if if it comes down to that, if you're if you're debating whether or not you're going to get the, because I know that there's a PlayStation version that that's cheaper without the optical drive. Yeah. So if you're not using it to play movies or for any of the other functions, and you're just planning on buying new games that go on there, not not playing old PlayStation games or something like that then get it without the optical drive because you really don't need it. You just just download the digital copies and you're good to go.
0: Right. And that's something to also uh to be thinking about like just because it has an optical drive does not mean it's going to be able to play your older games like I know there right. was a big uh a lot of people were annoyed when the PlayStation 5 came out cuz I don't think you can play like PS1 or PS2 games on that one. Maybe not even PS3. Um yeah, it's only PS4. Yeah. So if you have a big library of games, chances are a decent amount of them are going to be available digitally, and usually they're a remastered version. Um, but there's no guarantee that your physical copies are even going to work. Right.
1: So I so I can't play my Grand Theft Auto One, the last version no. that the last <laughs> la, last version that wasn't um, so violent that you had to bring it to confession, right? Right. Yeah. You can't play the Grand Theft Auto One anymore on it. So.
0: That was back when it was still top down, right? I yeah. think so. Yeah, nice, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, you 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 can't do much violent with 16 bit.
0: So. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, kind of what the new the new frontier of gaming is is the uh, virtual reality. So a you know, PS4, um, they have a headset um, that kind of ties into their whole ecosystem. You can play different games with that, um, but the big one is Oculus, the Oculus. Uh, company which is now owned by Facebook actually. Um do you all have any experience with uh virtual reality games?
2: I don't have any. I've I have i have been wanting to, but it's I don't know, I'm just it's hard to invest in a whole new system. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that's kind of that's kind of my my hold up because, you know, I, part of the reason that I don't get the really expensive systems is because I have 10 kids and, you know, I actually only have eight, have eight kids, but they they break everything. Yeah. And so <laughs> I, you know, I don't want to I don't want to invest in a really uh, beefy system. That's going to sit there by the TV and get knocked over and broken. (laughs) Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What about Um, you father?
1: My, my um, niece and my brother-in-law. So have, um, have the Oculus. And so um, I think that was one of my first moments that I felt like an old person using technology. (laughs) Um, She like, My little niece is showing me how to put the goggles on and how to hold these controllers in my hand. And by the time I get my bearings, I feel dizzy. Um, It was a whole new learning curve for me. And it just it felt really weird being the one that was just overwhelmed by. um, By technology, so hopefully that doesn't mean I'm entering into a geriatric phase or something, so. (laughs)
2: That's well, funny because one of our one of our oldest contributors on the show is um, she uh, is loves the Oculus. She is like all about it, so she talks about all the different stuff that she's playing on it and that she's really into it. So it's um I think it's really it's it's really it's funny the the di- different directions that you can come at the VR yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah,
0: I was yeah, going talk- to say we
1: need. I heard that because she's talking about using it in retirement homes and stuff mm-hmm. in the. Positive effects that have, and I was kind of laughing because I'm like, I hope they're sitting down when using it, because <laughs> those things are definitely a fall risk.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Pat Scott is a huge fan of a uh, Oculus Rift, so I've every time I've played with one, I've gone home with the intention of sitting down and ordering one, and then I, I look at the price tag and I'm like, this is <laughs> know, this right? is awesome. I love it, but. It's not like buying a television where I can justify it because I can use it for other things. That's been my big sticking point is like, this is cool, but it's still a one-use thing for me at least. But I know that they're, even beyond just gaming, like I know that it's used in engineering uh, scenarios. It's really good apparently in like for therapy settings because you can do like like work with that. Um, Hmm. But it's a fantastic um, product and a lot of the games are really cool and it's one of those technologies where before you try it, you kind of think about it. Like, I'm sure it's cool, but it's not as cool as everyone says. And then you try it, and you're like, "This is this is as cool as everyone it's says." Really that cool? Yeah. Okay. Um, the, yeah.
1: There's part of me, and you can call me the conspiracy theorist on this, but um, having Facebook put um, cameras directly into my retina um, <laughs> makes me a little weary. I don't know. <laughs>
0: I think Agent Smith is about to show up at your house. <laughs> <laughs> but
2: see, I, the, the one thing that would interest me about uh, the Oculus is the they do have a 3D modeling um, mm-hmm. component. And I've oh, heard really? good things about it. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a huge 3D design nerd. I love uh, 3D printing. And so if I could get a sample of how that works and then try and make something and print it on a 3D printer, that would probably push me over the the edge into getting one because then it would be you know it would fit that multi use thing right where yeah. it's like I'm getting it for you know 3D modeling. I'll, I'll game on it too, but it's yeah, it's for my 3D modeling.
1: <laughs> we have our um, we have our Dremel in the grade school for
2: the 3D <laughs> printer and nice.
1: um and I, I get a little too much enjoyment out
0: of teaching the kids how <laughs> to use
1: that sometimes. So
0: oh yeah. No, those things are fun too, and so uh, yeah, that, that's all like the the standalone systems that you can get, and that's far and away the easiest way to get into gaming. Um, but then you have PC gaming, which is a whole whole nother can of worms. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it is. Uh, if let's
0: open that can.
2: Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> if you are if you are interested in PC gaming, uh, then I recommend that you learn how to build your own PC. Which, yes sounds really intimidating but it's really not uh it's uh, there are a lot of great sites out there like pc part picker uh which is just a fantastic site to go to and they they have even recommended builds on there and if you're going to go for a gaming pc the biggest thing to do is just start with a good gpu figure out what your price point for the gpu is and realize that you're going to about double that for the whole pc yeah. So just pick the GPU because that's going to be about the half the cost of your PC, and then uh, and then build it around that. And that's that's how you build a gaming PC right there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with the GPU thing, though, we have to throw the curveball in right now with yeah what's going on with GPU prices with both the chip shortage and the um, our good friends who are doing bit Bitcoin oh, yeah. and all <laughs> of that mm-hmm. and mining are um having a big impact on the GPU market.
0: Oh yeah, it's oh, yeah. it's hard to get one right now. I had a friend who was trying to get a 3080 for the longest time and it took him like 4 months to track one down where he wasn't paying like three times what its market value actually was. Oh yeah.
1: My my build that I just did um this summer I could not get a good GPU um and I just grabbed this thing's like I'm wanting to say eight nine years old g p u it's like a um nvidia g t x four seventy or something so <laughs> it it's old um but it gets the job done of you know i'm not doing i'm not doing too much gaming on a linux machine right now. we can dive into um that question later oh, yeah. um, <laughs> so it it gets the job done of the basic stuff um and so
0: yeah. yeah, yeah that's so,
1: a... Tom, do you um do you go more towards Intel or AMD when you do your processors?
2: I tend to go AMD. That's um yeah i i I tend to find that they are the most reliable. Uh, I've built a few PCs with Intel's and had the chip burn out on me. So I don't know.
1: I I am a recent AMD convert. So. All right. <laughs> this build I just made was my first AMD build. I'd always done um my last build before that was about three years prior. I built my dad's computer, um, which was a seventh generation Intel. Um and after that, I really just haven't seen um Intel innovating too much.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, they've really fallen behind. And so
1: AMDs, um, yeah. And the fact that um, Intel's probably changed the socket that their processors go in six mm-hmm. times since AMD's come out with the A4 socket mm-hmm. um, for your yeah. CPUs. So,
2: yeah, no, I, that's, I I went AMD a while back. I've, I've probably done 10, 15 builds uh, with just AMD stuff all the way through and it's, it's been a great. It's been really easy. Not not too much to worry about, honestly. But uh, yeah, that's that's my go-to. And then um, I do Linux, so I and I do game on Linux, which is a challenge in itself. So if you're yes. if you're a Linux user and you're <laughs> trying to game, but I will say Steam, uh, Steam One with the with the way that they have Proton set up inside of Steam, and basically all you do is just click on the game and tell it to run a compatibility mode. And it takes care of everything on the back end. Uh, and very rarely will you have to go out and search for something. In fact, when um, Cyberpunk came out, I played on my Linux machine. and Everybody on Windows was having all these problems with it. And it just ran just like that. I just put it in a proton and it, it just ran, ran smooth, ran great. And then they did the patching and the patching broke something on the Linux
0: side of things. So does that allow you to play Windows games or does it have to be a game that's already built for Linux? Nope, it- it's windows games
2: it's just oh, nice. straight yeah it basically so, it kind of runs uh an im so it runs wine which is not an emulator um right. <laughs> it, it runs wine and it layers it with the way that the games work and it's fantastic but I, I i resisted using it for a long time because i didn't really understand what it was but basically it's just a play on linux that's made specifically for um steam and steam games
0: oh nice
1: Off the gaming category, but back to our question that we had earlier, um, I recently figured out how to run my Virabum software on Linux um, using wine containers. Um, And I was greatly amused that my Virabum on Linux runs better than it does on my (laughs) Windows computer. (laughs) So I'm running Windows software through a container on Linux and it runs better than it does on Windows. Nice. On the same machine. <laughs> yep.
2: That's, I've, awesome. I, th- that's not an uncommon experience, actually. A lot of people talk about the fact that they can get uh, some things. I'll, I'll, I'll give an example. Um, there is a game that I'm playing on Steam called Arc and it, it, mm-hmm. it has both a Linux version and a Windows version. And I actually run the Windows version through, um, through Proton because it runs better. Than, mm-hmm. the, than the native Linux version does. There, there's some, some glitchy stuff that happens with the native Linux version that I don't care for. And so I just run it through the, the uh, Proton and I've got an experimental version that I've loaded on my computer because, you know, I'm a tinker. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, but it's totally doable now. And I think that's the thing that if, if anyone has ever been intimidated by the fact that, oh, then I don't want to get a Linux machine because I, I can't game and there's nothing that's made for it. That's really just not the case anymore.
0: Yeah, there's been a lot of advancements made. So yeah, um, I guess the last thing I would say about that is the main advantage to uh, PC gaming over console gaming is that you can swap out the different parts of the system as you go. So mm-hmm. you can build your system, but then you can upgrade different pieces individually. And that that's usually going to last you longer than a console. And of course, the flip side of that is... Games released for the consoles are optimized for the console, so you're going to be—it's less plug and play, but it's—it's it's a lot more fun to build your own yeah. system.
2: Well, and then like you were saying, Jack, with the multi-use issue too. If you have a good gaming PC, you're good for 3D modeling. You're good for graphic design. You're good for video editing. Uh, Those—if you wanted to do other stuff with your machine, mm-hmm. uh, you definitely can, and that—that's I think a big advantage to having a PC is that you're not just It's not just sitting there being used for games. Right.
0: Yeah, definitely. Did y'all have uh, anything else on that topic? Um, You
1: know, the one thing we were talking about, Steam. um, And Steam had their big announcement that made um, the Linux podcast universe just go crazy, and um, me as well, um, especially as someone who... um, enjoys using Manjaro um, Arch Linux as well. Um, They announced the... I think they... Did they decide to call it the Steam Deck?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's what what they're sticking
1: with, yes. Which... which I don't know if um, Elgato with their Stream Deck, if they have some problems with that (laughs) one-letter difference or not. Um, But... Yeah, their promise they came out with at the beginning was that they were claiming um, that it was going to be able to play all Windows games or all the games in the Steam library, mm. right? Um, by its release in December, um, it sounds like the recent news is they kind of rolled back on that and they said that it's going to have the hardware capability to do it, but yeah, it not necessarily is going to play them all yet.
2: Even that's still impressive. I yeah, I don't know. Like a handheld device that has the hardware capability to play everything that's on Steam is mm-hmm. it's fairly impressive.
1: I think they're re- decreasing the graphics, I think the screen on it's gonna be like a 720. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. so you decrease it a little bit, you don't have to put as powerful, but right. man, I'm just looking at that as a um you know, three hundred and ninety-nine bucks for a portable PC with that that amount of hardware in it, um, that might just be worth it for the hardware itself, not even being able to game
0: on it. Yeah, definitely. It's gonna be cool to see uh, where that kind of things kind of thing goes. Because I know I think Nvidia, like probably like five or six years now, did something similar. Uh, it was a handheld gaming device, mm-hmm. but I think that we hadn't really reached the point where the hardware had caught up with that kind of form factor for mm-hmm. anything more than like a handheld type game. And then, of course, we didn't even talk about like a Stadia or those streaming services, mm-hmm. and the main reason is I have absolutely no experience with them, and the <laughs> only people who I've spoken to who have tried them out have not been fans of them. So I would say that if you're looking to get into gaming, that's really probably not the direction you're going to want to go.
2: I, I will say on that point, and this, this is something that I think is um, a... I don't know if it helps someone make a decision about that or not, but uh, I have my system set up right now so that i can load steam up on my rig back here mm-hmm. and then play in the in the living room so i can right. play on my gigantic tv in the living room uh and i can even plug a controller in on that tv and i i mean my daughter right now is playing hollow knight which is a pixel perfect platformer uh mm-hmm. on that tv so it's responsive enough that you can actually play a game like that oh wow in another room yeah. so you know there the the technology is getting there. I don't know that it's entirely there yet, yeah. But it's it's getting to that point where our internet speeds are fast enough that if all your computer is doing is displaying the graphics, mm-hmm. and th- and that's all they have to do is just send across the 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 rendered display, then we we're, we're getting close to that being a really viable gaming yeah. system. So if you, you if you're willing to hold out for a little bit, I think within the next year or so, we're going to see that be a really honest way to game
0: and i think that i think a lot of the complaints have been the titles like that's what i ran Mm -hmm. into with apple arcade on my mac when i bought that it came with a free trial of that and i didn't end up renewing it because there wasn't really anything to play right i couldn't
1: even find good son. there was a few sonic clones but those were even wanting um
0: yeah 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 there wasn't really i mean a lot of it was not it was a lot of like more casual type like adventure games or some mediocre platformers Uh, a couple racing games that just weren't good but nothing that really is worth paying a monthly subscription for in my opinion yeah all right um we're gonna jump into some headlines now uh but before we do that we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology including sam e jordan m nancy m samuel a and maria t Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Technology and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. All right, we got a couple of interesting headlines here. Uh, The first one, we kind of touched on it um, in our main topic, but it's the chip shortage that's been going on. Um, It's it's been one of those issues that's been uh, since the coronavirus pandemic and then just a few other economic things going on. The, the way those dominoes have been falling there's a huge uh, shortage of uh, silicon chips uh, right now and it's affecting a lot of uh, manufacturers of computer systems it's delaying uh, systems coming out and it's also driving up the cost of the systems that are coming out so um, one that i found very interesting and actually i uh, know uh, some of my coworkers have experience with this is uh the automotive industry is being mm-hmm. hugely affected by this, where they have these entire fleets of cars. that are ready to go. 2021 models ready to go. And they're just sitting on lots. They're actually being shipped out to dealers to just sit there because they don't have the microcontrollers for them. And they're running into this issue now where um, it talks about in this article. Um, let's see. Uh, Glenn O'Donnell, who is the vice president of a uh, uh, research director at a Forester. Talking about how we're getting to this um, to the point where you have all these twenty twenty one cars and they're not uh, you can't sell them right now because they're not complete. You just rebrand them as twenty twenty two models and release them. And we're (laughs) running into this with computers too, where uh, like we talked about with uh, graphics cards, like it is impossible to get a graphics card right now.
2: I've been amazed that like the graphics card that I bought ten years ago is is selling. More expensive, like I could make a profit selling my graphics card from 10 years ago right now, which is just wild to me.
0: Right. Even
1: your workstation cards that can't do much of anything, Mm -hmm. that I had some sitting in my closet that, you know, a couple years ago I would have told you, give me five bucks and at least you're cleaning out room in my closet. Yeah. And some of those are selling for 50, 60 bucks for. Dirt.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no, it's it's crazy. um Something else that they've talked about was as the like the lag has gone on between the manufacturing and the uh, the release time. Like they were thinking, like you know, late twenty twenty one, early twenty twenty two. This stuff is going to start to be sorted out and kind of correct itself. But we're see, we're getting into that time, and it's just getting worse right now. And so mm-hmm. it's probably not going to be until twenty twenty three or maybe even twenty twenty four that things are kind of going to get back to normal. And so it's causing a lot of people to look at alternatives for where we source these materials because a lot of them, and this is a, this is a problem with technology in general is you're sourcing rare earth materials from places that usually are not the safest or Mm -hmm. it's causing a big uh, economic and environmental impact on the places where they're getting it from. And that's always like, that's always the issue I run into when I'm looking at a new piece of technology. I'm like, Where what is the moral calculus between me buying this flashy new gadget and the fact that I don't really need it and the impact it's having?
2: Is is my technology ethically sourced? Exactly, yeah. (laughs) And it's hard to know that. It's really hard to like make any kind of informed decision about that because, uh, you know, and especially as we're learning more things about like you know the the, uh, manufacturing procedures in China or uh, this uh, again an example of like just the mining of rare earth materials is, Mm. and then, and then to say that we're manufacturing some of these things here, because a lot of the Silicon chips are manufactured in the States. So we're shipping the raw material here to manufacture the the chip and then shipping it back out to the rest of the world. And it's like, this is a, the amount of wasted energy that goes on in these things is just uh, tremendous.
1: The one thing I'm happy about this, um, chip shortage what it's done um, as someone who is a very cheap geek is what i call myself <laughs> Yeah. Um, <Yes. laughs> and, you know working in Catholic education makes me even cheaper with stuff um, you know they tell you that the ordinary computer is supposed to have a five year cycle and Catholic schools usually will try to pull 12 to 15 out of that five years mm-hmm. and just this idea of the right to repair um yeah. and ability to repair and the fact that um maybe these companies who are using these um technologies that are so rare and so hard to come by um to stop building PCs and um Macs um that just get thrown away yeah um, <laughs> that there's valuable parts and to make them able to be repaired and upgraded and all of that. And if we could come back around to that,
0: yeah, um, definitely
1: would be a positive, um, positive COVID thing to happen,
0: right? Um, I know we were talking about this, uh, offline before we started, Thomas, but uh, like the new iPhone, it's not really mm-hmm. different from the previous generation, which wasn't really different from the generation before that. Like at a certain point, like some of this technology that we feel the need to upgrade every single year, like the improvements are not really worth buying an entire new device like my like my phone from five years ago basically operates the same as a phone from nowadays it doesn't have four cameras on the back but Mm -hmm. it gets the job done
2: but and and the one of the complicated things there is uh, it used to be that you could drive a car into the ground right you could right you could just push a car until like okay it is not worth it to repair this issue that the car is having because it is too expensive for me to do that i need to go buy a new car right Um, but with technology, a lot of times it's just, uh, you don't know, you don't, you don't know where that line comes. And so, you know, with my wife, she had, she ended up having to get a new iPhone, uh, last year because, uh, the bloat from all of the updates that she was accumulating, (laughs) just, it killed her phone. Like it was, it had taken up every bit of space that her phone had and everything was running slow because it had finally just gotten to the point where she was, you know, that many generations behind what yeah. they were pushing out as updates.
1: It would be nice if you could just install Linux on her iPhone, though.
2: Hey Oh, man. Oh, don't get me started on trying to li- make Linux <laughs> phones a thing. <laughs> One day. It's got to
0: happen yeah. at some point. I want to build your own phone, man. That's that's what I really want. <laughs> people, people have tried it. Uh, there was that modular phone from several yeah. years ago, and that never took off. And there's a phone that I actually... If it was available in the United States, I would get it. It's called the, um, of course, now that I said it, I can't remember the name, but it's like, a, what is it called? It's a fa- phone. That's what it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like an ethically, uh, it's built with all ethical, all recycled, all like non-conflict uh, source materials. And it runs on Android and it is designed to be easy to repair. Like you go on the website, you can buy the phone. It's like $400 US. Of course, you can't use it here. But you can buy mm. like all the components for that phone on there. And the phone even comes with a screwdriver to open it up if you need to replace <laughs> the, like, the headphone jack. Because, of course, it still has a headphone jack, which is nice. Yeah, um, it's fantastic. Or the camera, all the different parts. And it's designed to be user serviceable. And that's really what I wish. I wish that companies still thought that way, of course. Obviously, for, you know, money reasons, you don't want people to fix their own computers. But it makes it difficult to... Want to spend that much money on a system that you know you cannot fix if it breaks? I'm kind of mad that you introduced this. Oh <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can't you, have you're
1: it. You're grieving being American right now, huh? So yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, I think the I think the chip shortage is going to be one of those things that's going to make people rethink the way that we're that we're sourcing materials. First off, but really that um, it, it's good because it's causing the the whole manufacturing chain to start rethinking how it's just been lazy about creating yeah. a, a cycle of well i don't know that's just the cheapest thing just get that thing because it works you know mm-hmm. not thinking about well what happens to the supply chain where do i get alternatives you know how is this really the best option or is it just the bottom line cheapest option right
0: it's gonna be interesting to see uh when this stuff shakes out uh how it ends up falling all right we had another uh interesting story here uh this one is uh about AI rights. Uh, so there's a UK court has confirmed that AI has no rights under their laws and they cannot own patents. And so there's this uh, this uh, scientist, his name is Dr. Stephen Thaler, and he had um, he has this AI that he has built called uh, Debus, and he's claiming that this AI should be credited for all the inventions that it has helped work on. Um, and he's like filed this multiple times with the patent office and they've shot it down multiple times. Um, and basically their ruling is you developed the AI and so that is where the patent would fall, not under the AI itself. Even though a lot of the work ostensibly was done by the AI, like it, I get his argument is this, I did not come up with this work on my own and I would not have come up with this work without the AI. So therefore the AI is an equal partner in this patent. What do you all think of that?
2: I think when the machines take over Australia is going to be okay and um the 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 EU's going to be in trouble. <laughs> Cuz Australia just Australia just ruled the opposite, right? They just ruled that you yeah. could um that the the an AI could own patents.
1: So so my question is if the AI has the right to hold the patents, at what point do we start taxing the AI? Right? Mm. So, and I say it, kind of ton in cheek but then, in all seriousness right if you're if you're winning the patent as a i um and we're talking economics and entrepreneurship right you're saying the a i took the risk mm-hmm. right and made the investment, and therefore um that fall, falls into this category of taxation um on wealth made from that risk. And so, while well, he says that I'm not sure um, if this individual would rather. Because, I mean, the AI's not going to create his own money unless he's mining Bitcoin to pay taxes, I guess, <laughs> maybe. Well, um, or, or if
2: he's or if he's making money off of um, whatever these inventions are that that he's created, that, right. that would be the other thing that could be possible. I could see. So I could see this. I could see if there was a trust. That was uh, created for this AI, and the idea of the trust was that it was to fund further research into developing and maintaining the AI. Right. Mm. So, e- effectively, right now the money goes back to the original developer. Right. So the the the, meaning, the 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 desire of the court is met because the original developer it gets that money. But what happens if that developer dies, or mm. if that developer stops? Uh, developing right but the ai was the one that came up with the inventions and is continually inventing new things now what ends up happening to that ai and it's a kind of odd place to be in where uh, he might be the only person that understands how the code was written well enough to be able to develop it and needs funding to create a team that can Mm -hmm. continue on perpetually after him and that this this AI could continue to develop and continue to become a better inventor afterwards. And then those those proceeds could fund back into its
0: system to kind of maintain itself. I can I, see an argument there. I, I can see that, but I don't see how that's different than just setting up like an LLC and then having yeah. the patent fall under like this company. Like because mm-hmm. like under US law, I don't know how it is the EU, but companies, corporations are considered people because they pay taxes and. You know, there's that's a whole other question of whether or not they should be. But (laughs) I don't see how this is like, I I think almost he was doing it to make a statement because he Mm -hmm. still claims to own the AI. It's not like he's saying this AI is its own person and it can do whatever it wants. So I don't I don't really see how this is functionally different than just setting up an LLC or an incorporation and then having the patent be given over to that company for management. And the AI is a tool that the company owns. Yeah,
1: if he's arguing, it's a person. This what happens if his AI goes off and marries Alexa and
2: (laughs) yeah, or hacks into a government facility, right? (laughs) Yeah, invention was a backdoor to this uh this thing. Yeah,
0: there's a lot of really interesting questions, and I think that as AI develops more and you start getting things that are more than just machine learning, like we start approaching approaching some sort of at least simulation of like consciousness and decision making like mm-hmm. I think that's when the really interesting questions are gonna are gonna come about
1: that we talked about um there's been those stories of the cars and stuff um you know of crash avoidance and stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and then I think of a i using it with war um really makes my stomach turn um yeah, you know letting a i make the decision on making a drone attack um or something like that um in which really you need a human person to be um making these moral decisions of whether this is a just and right thing to do right um and a computer can't weigh moral decisions um no matter what we can try to say
0: right yeah it's uh I know that the the autonomous car thing has been a a big question. Um, And I feel like a lot of it is also growing pains. Like we will adapt to these new tools and we will adapt ways for them to be used. But it is, it is an interesting, interesting thing. And I feel like there's a lot of questions that we don't really understand yet about this. All right. um, Yeah. We're going to do our uh, picks of the week now. Uh, Thomas, would you like to go first?
2: All right. So uh, dovetailing off the conversation about uh, artificial intelligence and uh, machine learning, uh, I have recently gotten into uh, designing and developing my own. Uh, I found this great resource. Uh, the, the author of this book, Harrison Kensley, has a fantastic YouTube channel. Uh, he loves Python, he writes a lot of code in Python, he's a really great teacher. Uh, so if you find Scentdex on YouTube, uh, he's got a lot of really great information about uh, writing in Python generally. But right now, what he's doing is he's developed this um, this book called uh, Neural Networks from Scratch. And the great thing about this book is that it's literally a, a textbook. It's huge. I, I have it right here, I'm showing it to the to the team, and it, it is enormous. Uh, but it is a, a textbook about what a neural network is and writing one in bare Python. So without like going to TensorFlow and just using one that pre-exists, he talks you through the entire process of creating the nodes, uh, editing the nodes so that they wait for each other and that they have a bias. And then uh, he's got some ideas for what to do with it. um, And it becomes more apparent to you the more you learn about it, what kind of things you can do with a neural network and machine learning. And it's really good because if you know any Python at all, if you know any coding, it's very bare bones coding. So it's really not complicated. Like the most complicated thing that happens is you have to get into some slightly advanced math. And that's just because that's the way that machine learning works mm. is on transformations and you have to know vectors and things like that. But there, even all of that stuff is, is imminently learnable. You just go to Khan Academy and find some uh, videos about it and you're good. But the, he's doing a video series right now where he's talking through the basics of uh, what machine learning is. And I conceptually knew what machine learning was, but I didn't really know what was going on under the hood. And doing this is helping me really figure out, okay, when we talk about a neural network, what is happening there? Like, what, what is each different piece of code doing? And actually writing it in Python, which is a, a very understandable language. Is uh, helping understand that. So if, if you're interested at all in machine learning, if you know uh, any Python at all, and even if you don't know Python, really, you can look at his channel and figure out because Python's Python is so basic that it's not—it's not like a big con- like it's literally just a bunch of for loops hmm. with some math thrown in it. And so <laughs> it's it's not complicated uh, Python. It's just the concept is difficult, and that's what he's explaining by doing this. That sounds
0: awesome. We're gonna
2: have to
1: look at yeah, that. Yeah, it's really. Cheers to the best programming language there is. So. Yes.
0: <laughs> what about uh, you, Father?
1: Um, my pick to this week um, kind of goes off our um, gaming thing there um, and being a retro gamer myself. And then kind of the... Um, well, I'll get into this first. It's um, archive.org has a console living room um, that you can go into And when you go into it, it basically runs the emulators, um, in the web browser. Um, one of my favorite things about this is, um, you know, being a priest, I can be ethically minded a little bit and worry about, um, whether or not I'm breaking a commandment by downloading ROMs that I did not purchase. Um, we won't dive into that too much, um, But the nice thing about archive.org is the courts have already ruled, right, that they have um, the right as a library to have that stuff on their server. Um, And so they've created a way um, that you emulate inside their website um, and you can play those games on their website. Um, Occasionally, I'll go up there and I'll play Oregon Trail just so I can die of dysentery. Um, (laughs) Yes. And... Um, there's just an incredible selection. I mean, you can go back to your candies, to your um, arcade gaming, um, every little thing you can think of. And um, the great thing is, um, I've played on this website on a Raspberry Pi before. Um, oh, nice. You don't have to have high computing power to be able to play to play these emulators um, on a web browser. Um, and so, um, yeah, I just enjoy yes. that. Um, yeah. so it's a, it's a good thing, you know, it's not quite the same as, um, as holding the entire Atari, Atari controller in your hand, but close as you're going to get.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, uh, this, this really, uh, if you're interested in retro gaming, this takes a lot of the, the legwork out of having to find an emulator and <laughs> install right. it and go through all that. like. I can play a Tony Hawk's uh, Pro Skater for the PlayStation 2 in my browser, so I'm happy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the the one fall-off that I found is sometimes controller compatibility with it, Mm. um, which this is going to be the case with emulators on your PC and Linux, too. Sometimes your controller compatibility is not the best. So sometimes you're playing your... your games with keyboard keys
0: and stuff. Um, right. Yeah, that is awesome. Uh, my, uh, my pick of the week is a, just a lighthearted one. Um, I recently switched over from a uh, iPhone back to Android. Um, and one of the things that I always have liked about Android that you can not do on iPhone is that you can get different launchers and themes for your device. So most of them come with a built-in launcher, which is just the look and feel of the device. Um, Uh, And I've one thing that I love to do whenever I have an Android phone is a skin it to look like the L car systems from the uh, next generation Star Trek. Um, And I found this really awesome one. It's by far the best one I've ever found. It's for a launcher called Total Launcher, and it's an interface that you can get for it called Trek Total Interface. And it gives you a complete L car skin for your system. And unlike other ones I've used in the past where they essentially just kind of give you like a static page that has like the L cars layout. This lets you edit every single different block, like the big, colorful, like primary colored buttons that they have, and you can set each one to do exactly what you want. And you can set the set up the layout exactly how you want it. It's got all the sound effects and everything. It's it's awesome. So I can have my own uh my own pad right there.
1: Oh, almost, almost as good as being able to customize it if you were to have Linux on your phone.
0: Oh, exactly, <laughs> it's close. Yeah. Can a scan for uh, anomalies in the space-time continuum. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's 4 dollars on the Android store, and it's a lot of fun. Awesome. Um, yeah, that's it from us. What did you think of our discussion? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or on the SQPN Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or send us an email to technology at sqpn.com. You can find links from our discussion and picks of the week on our show notes at sqpn.com. You can help grow the secrets of tech by writing a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or one of the different podcast directories. And share the podcast with your friends to help us grow our community and reach more listeners. Until next time, Thomas Sanjuro, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of technology. It was great being here. And Father Joseph Sund, thank you as well. Thank you. Blessings. And once again, I'm Jack Barrazzini. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest.